And I go through phases where I think there's a, a huge shift and a huge awakening and a huge awareness happening and that this consciousness is coming, to, everybody's coming together and we're getting more and more in touch with the, what real life is supposed to be. It's not supposed to be, how's the weather? How, how's your dinner? It's supposed to be, how's your soul? Are you okay? That's independent rock artist from London, Ontario, Sarah Smith. This week's guest on episode 104 of the Unplugged podcast. Hello and welcome to another awesome week of the Unplug podcast, where we unplug from status quo and shift the paradigm from head to heart by igniting a more passionate, compassionate, loving, and activated world. And this is the audio space where you will hear powerful conversations with the courageous truth seekers and free thinkers of today's rapidly changing world. My name is Devil Zarko, warrior of truth, cultural revolutionary, status quo crusher, and passionate lover of life here to welcome you to your bi-weekly dose of authentic expression, truth, critical thought, provoking words, and open-hearted inspiration from my paradigm-busting headquarters in beautiful coastal British Columbia, Canada. And I'm going to kick off this week's show with a confession. And uh, I'm going to confess that I have not owned a TV or anything comparable since 1995. I don't own a cell phone. I don't own a smartphone or even a dumb phone for that matter. I don't pay attention to mainstream news. I'm not on social media and I rarely listen to music anymore. And you might think, what the hell? But for me, my mind is really important. My heart is the most important part of my existence and she cannot speak to me clearly if I'm distracted by all of this stuff that's out there. So I keep my mind really clean and free from the plethora of distraction and dysfunctional toxicity that's out there today. And what's more important to me in my life is creative expression through my writing, my design work, and this podcast. What's also important to me is lots of silence, time in nature, my physical activities of swimming and biking, hiking and kayaking, time with my partner and my animal family, and meaningful conversations with my amazing like-hearted community here on the Sunshine Coast. So my life is actually pretty simple, but it's incredibly rich. And I'm really good at protecting myself from the things that just don't matter, meaning the things that distract so many people out there in our culture from living fully right now. So when I discover someone who is living out loud, someone who is creatively gifted and who hasn't sold themselves out to the status quo, I pay attention. And that is the case with this week's Unplugged podcast guest. Sarah Smith is a full-time independent musician based in London, Ontario, but her music takes her all over the world. Her songs are inspirational and they're about triumphing over tragedy and becoming her best self. And she writes from personal experience. She also believes that our vulnerabilities are what make us strong. And I couldn't agree with her more there. I totally get that. Sarah is also a person who follows her heart and listens to her inner voice. And we speak about this in great detail in this week's show. 
She's also really conscious about working on her body, mind, and soul to keep her going strong for her active life of writing music, traveling, playing quite regularly, and she's also continually meeting new people, which takes a lot of energy. So it's really important to to be up and to be energized and activated and healthy for that. And Sarah also has a strong connection to mental health issues, and she uses her voice to create awareness about mental health and also about addictions. Now, she readily admits that she struggles with her own inner demons, like (laughs) who doesn't, hey? But she's always striving to be better. Now, for Sarah, it takes a lot of courage and diligence to do what she's doing by running her own career without an agent, without a manager, or without a record label. It's a lot of hard, dedicated work. And after getting to know her through this episode, I'd have to say that she is an inspiration for anyone who wants to follow a dream. Now, when I was looking around at her work and getting to know her music, I watched a video on YouTube of her version of the Beatles song, Oh Darling, and I was utterly blown away. It is the absolute definition of soul. And I, I, I mean, I just kept playing it over and over again. I, I think I listened to it probably about four or five times over and over again with my eyes closed just to get the full on experience of it. It's really powerful. And I'll be sure to add that video to the show notes at debozarco.com backslash 104. But before we dive into this week's conversation, I'm going to kickstart this episode with the full version of her, her song that's titled Runaway. So enjoy her music and enjoy the conversation that follows.
Driving all night to find a better me I'll hurry I'll hurry Welcome, Sarah. I am, we've had a, a small little chat beforehand, and I just mentioned how excited I am that I've been privileged to discover your music through, uh, through your publicist, John, and I am blown away by your talent. And I have to say that I'm really grateful that I have a small platform here where I can help spread the word about your work because it needs to get out there. Like, you have a dynamite voice. Like, when I first started listening to you, it was reminiscent of Melissa Etheridge. And this was before I even went to your website. And then I noticed that you'd been compared to Melissa Etheridge and Bonnie Raitt and Janis Joplin. And I could say yes, definitely to all of that. You have that, that really raunchy, passionate, raspy sound that for me, it, it really, there's something about it that just activates my soul. So wow. I am really, really excited to be able to speak to you today. And since, um, since snooping around on your website, I was uh, looking through some of your media pieces. And in one of the media pieces on your website, you mentioned that you've lived quite the life, but you <laughs> didn't expand on that. So mm -hmm. this is always a really, uh, it's a great launching point for me because my initial curiosity is always to dive into the essence of people and just really find out what makes them tick. So... I'd love to explore what quite the life means for you. And then perhaps we can dive into the pivotal moments and catalyzing experiences that have led you to, to where you are today. Great. Let's do it. Let's I'm go excited. big. Go big. <laughs> yeah. Start off big. <laughs> All right. It's kind of scary, but I'm here and, uh, you know, I, I, I'm an honest person and I usually will answer any questions thrown my way. All right. So what does quite the life mean? What was, what was that life that, um, that you alluded to in, in that, uh, it was, um, it was a morning show piece and you said, I've lived quite the life. So what does that mean for you? Um, I mean, I think just my upbringing, I was born and raised on a farm in a, in a church home. I didn't have a lot of popular music influence. It was mostly church music. And I was kind of uh, on my own on the farm, you know. I had siblings, but um, I kind of enjoyed playing sports and being on my own and doing my own thing and working hard on the farm and working hard at school and uh, being the good church-going, you know, uh, <laughs> church-going farm girl. <laughs> and um, there, was, there was a point where one of my family members got very um, sick with mental illness and I had to sort of take over a role in, in the family. And it became, you know, at the time, the pivotal time for me where I had to become honest with people because I couldn't put up that front anymore that I was fine. So that's where I started to dig deeper in, into my, 
myself. And, and the only outlet I could find was, was singing and playing music and writing music. And I felt this outlet that kind of connected me to a higher power. And that, that was my outlet because I felt like I had to kind of get out away from the feelings that were happening here on earth. Right. So that, that really, really helped me discover myself. And then, you know, eventually I became um, a normal teenager partying and, and doing all the normal teenage things. And then at one point I got into trouble myself as a child and I was going to marry this guy and I was going to elope and move away to the West Coast. And my mom caught me before I could do that. She read my diary and she came clean. She said, I read your diary. Now, what are we going to do about this? And we decided that the best thing for me to do would be to take an exchange as a student and go somewhere in the world and uh, learn how to find myself. So I traveled to New Zealand, which is on the other side of the world. I lived there for a year. I pretty much quit school within the first week and I just traveled around as a gypsy. I played music, I made friends, I did some odd jobs and, you know, did that kind of life like a little, little hobo uh, with my buddies and my guitar and that was how I kind of started to get the travel bug. But I, yeah, so that was, you know, young age, 18 or so. I'm curious, you know, you said your mother got into your diary and she said, what are we yeah. going to do about this? Was this the marriage that you were, you were thinking about? Yeah, I was totally going all in with a, with a, a 32 year old man. I was only 17 at the time. Oh, and wow. Okay. Yeah. And he had a family and, you know, it was, it was the first time where I had felt courted and loved and ready to, uh, I was ready all in. I was ready to go all in. I was so naive, you know. I was so young, and I just felt so great when I got flowers and stuff like that. It just made me feel so loved. So um, when I went to New Zealand, I, I really got to find out who I was and that I was worth more than that and that um, I wanted a different kind of life than that. I didn't want to be taking away a father or a husband or um, going with the first person that made me feel good. Yeah. So, yeah, that was pretty pretty heavy stuff there. So you were in New Zealand and you were a gypsy. And when when you when you say you you started to find yourself, I'm always curious to know what that means for people because it's always it's so personal, and yeah. and it's just like I know for myself when I started to find myself, my whole paradigm shifted, and then it opened up a whole new world for me and a hunger to get to know more of myself that is still with me, that is, mm -hmm. it's voracious and it never leaves. So I'm yeah. curious to know what that means for you. Well, um, at first, you know, I was still, still that insecure little farm girl dropped into the middle of New Zealand <laughs> with no friends going, where am I? What am I doing? But I quickly made friends and I quickly, you know, fell into the wrong path and I was, you know, using drugs and selling drugs and drinking and, I was, um, you know, just, I got fat. I was eating a lot of junk food. I was on my own. And so then halfway through the year, I realized that it's up to me. You know, the, the thing, I remember the pitiful moment. I was laying in bed and my belly was touching, like I was laying on the side, on my side, and my belly was touching the bed. And I thought, oh my God, I'm fat. I have to, I have to do something about this. And it, the only person that can change that is me. Mm. 
And so then I was like, started to research like what healthy, healthy eating is and what healthy living is. And I started running and I started exercising and I started eating healthy and I started taking care of myself. And I started having this yearning to discover the spirituality, you know, and this, this bright light that was around me that I just couldn't really feel yet. And so then I was in search of that and the music brought me there, my music. And so then I dove into music and I dove into learning how to sing and play guitar and write music. And I just really dove into that. And I dove into good friends and healthy relationships and uh, not needing other people's approval and doing what made me feel right. And I this, found, this all happened down in New Zealand when you're yeah. 17 years old? Yeah. Wow, I feel like a late bloomer. Well, <laughs> good for you. It can go deeper, though, you know, like, yeah. um, I think at a certain point, the the awareness then can also get so scary that you it can bring on panic attacks and, and overwhelmingness. And if you can't get past that, maybe you're stuck on that plateau for the rest of your life. Mm. But I was able to get past all the scariness into this whole new level of awareness. That happened a few years later. But that that was the real... So this was the beginning for me, the beginning of finding spirituality and awareness and what makes me feel like the best I could be at that time, 17, 18 years old. Mm -hmm. I had to do it on my own. Like nobody was there. You know, I didn't have my parents. So I figured it out. It, in six months, I went from being the drug seller, you know, to being a pretty healthy young lady. I came home a whole new hottie. I came home to this little town and I had dyed blonde hair and I had a tan and a little accent and I had lost a lot of weight and I was like, oh my God, I here I am. The new me. You know? And I could sing and play music and I didn't want to do drugs anymore, you know, as much. And uh so I had grown from that little farm girl into something different. That's amazing. So it's, um, I think one of the best things that, that could have happened was your mother's discovery of your diary, it seems yeah. like. Yeah. And, and I didn't even like, you know, there's been a few times in my life where my trust has been broken that way with reading diaries or checking cell phones or checking messages, that kind of thing. But I don't blame the other person because I can really put on a front of everything is okay. And they just want to know, how can I help you? And I'm not the kind of person that will ask for that help. And I think that we live in a culture that's like that, where we're taught to be autonomous lone wolves and to look out for ourselves and to not reach out for help. Mm -hmm. What I'm finding is that, in, at least in my own life, and at least with the, the circle of influence that I hang out with, is that more and more people are starting to realize, I can't do things alone. I need mm -hmm. to reach out for help. And there seems to be more of a community uh, mindset, a reawakening, I guess, to a community mindset. And I, I'm noticing, uh, at least where I'm living right now, is that the community mindset is, is really starting to grow fast. And I'm wondering, like, I'm curious to know on your end, is that something that you're noticing in your own life, in your own circle of, of, of influence? 
I don't know whether it's something that I'm just noticing because of where I live and because of the people that I associate with, or if there actually is some kind of a shift that's happening in that direction where people are starting to reach out to each other because this whole autonomous lone wolf mentality, patriarchal mentality that we've been indoctrinated into is really creating a lot of mental health issues, depression and anxiety, because Mm -hmm. we think that we have to do everything on our own. And if we don't, then we're weak or we're whatever the label is. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's, it's, it's hard on our souls because we're meant mm-hmm. to be community based. We're meant to reach out to each other. You know I mean? Mm-hmm. So I, I'm just curious to know what your thoughts are on this. Yeah. I mean, I go through phases where I think there's a, a huge shift and a huge awakening and a huge awareness happening and that this consciousness is coming, everybody's coming together. We're getting more and more in touch with the, what real life is supposed to be. It's not supposed to be, how's the weather, how, how's your dinner? It's supposed to be, how's your soul? Are you okay? You know? And so I go through phases where I feel like that is happening. And then I think it depends on me and where I'm at. And then if I feel like my, I'm shut off and I'm in a different place, I feel like other people are too. Mm. I think I'm just, I think everybody's just a reflection of me. So if I'm feeling aware and I'm feeling happy or soulful or mindful, then I feel other people are too. But if I feel closed and lonely and and scared, then I feel like other people are as well. Hmm. So that's that's where I'm at. Yeah, well, that makes a lot of sense to me. I'm feeling it's interesting where I live right now because I'm originally from Ottawa. So I'm I'm and my partner is originally from London, and we used to do the oh nice we used to do the six hour commute until she moved oh, to Ottawa. Oh my and... god, that's a long drive. <laughs> it was a long commute. You guys are committed. <laughs> Well, it didn't wow. last long before she moved to Ottawa, and now we moved out here. So, so where, what's interesting is that where we live here, we're north of BC, or north of Vancouver, and it's surrounded by ocean, rainforest, mountains, and I call this like for for somebody who's a creative person. There's a lot of artists, there's a lot of musicians, a lot of writers out here, um, and what I've discovered is that. I call this place a really thin space. So the the space between the physical and the non-physical world is virtually seamless. So I feel like as somebody who's energetically sensitive, I'm picking up on a lot of the global energies. I pick up a lot of on the global energies as well as the local energies and what's going on inside of me. So I feel like because of the natural settings here that this place is a real barometer for what's going on in the world. And so, you know, you were talking about how people are reflections of what's going on inside of us. And I feel like the global energies are are also can be reflected within us. And so I'm noticing more and more like on a micro level, on a, on a, um, like on a local level, community seems to be burgeoning on a global level, it seems like there's a collapsing energy that I'm picking up on. Like, um, what do I want to call it? Cultural collapse, civilization collapse, ecological collapse, all of the above, who knows? But there's a really weird energy that's going on. So there's these crazy swirling energies that are happening that, that I'm having a hard time navigating. And so, you know, you brought up your, your, spirituality. And so this brings me to another question where I'm curious to know what spirituality means for you. Like I know that for me, 
it's been meditation. That doesn't seem to work anymore. Time in nature seems to be my thing more and more now. Like I'm feeling more connected to nature and more drawn to nature and more of a need for nature. But again, spirituality is one of these things that's really personal. And uh, since we've kind of, you know, we're, we're already going in that direction and we're already talking about energy and and reflections of each other and all that stuff. I'm curious to know what spirituality means for you and how it keeps you grounded in yourself when there's all these crazy energies going on in the world. And also the fact that you're in an industry that tends to be kind of crazy. Mm-hmm. It is. Um, I'm not, I'm not like the most perfect at this. I'm always, you know, I struggle. I go through ups and downs um, where I feel very connected or um, aware. And then I feel just also really closed and lonely mm. at times too. So to me, um, my spirituality, um, it, it's, it happens in all sorts of ways. Um, I feel connected when I'm alone and I'm in, in the sunshine. I'm in nature. I'm doing sports. I feel very connected. I feel very connected when I'm singing or playing music or when I'm writing music and allowing um, the energy, the creative energy to flow through me. That is really incredible. That energy is amazing. Like I actually vibrate when I write music, um, which is amazing. I also feel spiritual when I feel like um, there are relationships and people are connecting on a human level and we can relate to each other and we can say, wow, you know, you're helping me. I'm helping you. That's an amazing feeling. Um, there's a lot of weird, um, unorthodox things that make me feel spiritual too, like doing new things, taking risks, you know, doing something I wouldn't normally do. I feel the most spiritual when I feel like my soul is being fed with goodness and I feel mm. good, you know? So I think there's good things like nature and sunshine and, you know, certain foods, um, relationships are very important to me. Love between humans. That's, that's my spirituality. I think that really captures the essence of what spirituality is. And, and I, the, the personal aspect is how it moves through us. So I get it when you said that, you know, when the music flows through you, it vibrates. I feel the same way with writing. So I guess it's like, it's really honoring the creative force inside and just really allowing it, not stopping the flow. And I think that that's, Mm -hmm. we live in a culture where people say, I'm not creative, I'm not creative. So that, that affirmation just basically stops the flow. But I believe Mm -hmm. that every one of us is creative. I mean, Really, we we are, <laughs> if you think about it, I mean, a sperm and an egg is a pretty creative thing to create us, right? Yeah. Like, seriously. Yeah, yeah exactly. Like, yeah. <laughs> getting down to the exactly. very basics. So let's, let's talk about your music. Now, you've talked about how you started when you were young, but I'm curious, what was the, uh, what was the impetus for music? How did you even get into it in the first place? Were, did you just like one day say, I'm going to sing and play guitar, and, and that was it? Um, well, my, my mom and dad were both musical. Like my mom was the church leader, the church choir leader. And my dad always had a guitar was, and he would, you know, at parties, he would bring out his guitar and he would sing Johnny Cash and John Denver and that kind of thing. So I always had it around me. My mom put me in piano lessons at a very young age, but of course I never 
read the word, ne- read, never read the music. I just kind of went off on my own little tangent. The music that was in front of me, I would read it, and then I would create my own music after playing it for so long. Mm. My teacher would say, well, okay, you didn't play the music at all. You get an F, but you wrote your own song, and that's pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so and, it was just, it was something innate inside of you that just needed to yes. be expressed. More, more than, more, not so much music, but performer. That was natural as a performer. I was always the, the character doing the spotlight things, trying to get the spotlight. Always that silly little kid that wanted the spotlight. And singing at the top of my lungs. and Yeah, it was just natural. Anyway, so I eventually, uh, drums were my first real instrument. I took also, like drums and percussion all through school. I was like, I finally graduated to the, the drum uh, uh what's it called? The, uh, the drum kit player in high school. That was like the, the, to me, the be all and end all of, uh, music in high school. So yeah, my first band, I was the drummer. <laughs> uh, anyway, I got a guitar when I was 13 and that's what opened up my musical writing, songwriting and getting my emotions out through music. That's amazing. I, I have to confess that I always feel a little bit of envy when I hear anyone who can play the guitar like you like in a past lifetime I had a boyfriend who patiently tried to teach me but oh my god it drove me crazy I think we worked on it we worked at it for three hours and I said that's it I can't do this I couldn't get my fingers to work properly and he was so great he was so patient so and, and the same thing I did drums and I've done piano and all that stuff but I think some of us are just you know we're musically inclined and some of us are inclined in other ways so instead of being a musician I choose to live vicariously through people like you with your talent wow and uh I'm very I'm very grateful to be able to have that outlet very very grateful and you're talented like you are I was um I was blown away I was my partner and I were listening to your music last night I said oh my god you've got to hear this this stuff is great Thank you. So this might be a great place if you're willing and ready to, you know, haul out your guitar and play something. What do you think? All right. right. (laughs) Or do you want to, do you want to wait for the urge to hit you? No, that's fine. Okay. I'm going to take this off. Okay. Thank you for your willingness to do this. I, I had, um, I had an interview with a local musician here and he just, he had his guitar with him and he would just spontaneously start playing. It was amazing. That's, uh, I'm usually not kind of the kind of person to do this. It feels weird, but I'll just put myself in that uh, creative space. Okay, this is called Angels and Anchors. Crumbling 
to my soul I look to the sky I see wings falling down Hold on tight Cause I don't want to drown Let the waves and the shores Take me, I'm yours Be the hope, be the light I can't give up this time Cause I have angels They have anchors so they can't leave me tonight. Wow. <laughs> I have I have goosebumps. <laughs> That's beautiful. Oh, thanks. Thank you. I'm I'm really curious about I mean the words are so powerful. Well, I think if you're if you're an addict ever in your life, you will understand. Or if you feel alone ever in your life, then you'll understand because or if you feel like you're not doing your potential, you feel like you're doing something that's not right or against your soul purpose, you'll understand. Because mm -hmm. this song is about you know, being on the brink, just being on that edge, being like, you know, I don't think I'm ready for this. But with somebody's help or with God's help or with an angel's help or with my friend's help or my lover's help or my higher power's help, I can get through this. Um, that's what it's about. Hmm. It's called Angels and Anchors because what, what you're saying here is, you know, I'm calling for my angel to help me, but... I need them a little longer. I need them to stay here. So I need them to have an anchor so they won't fly away without helping me. Mm. It's calling for help. That's probably why I'm feeling it on such a deep level. It's just, mm -hmm. uh, and the goosebumps are not going away. <laughs> uh. So I'm wondering now, like that, that song is, uh, it really, it really moves me. And it, it brings up a curiosity for me about the inspiration for your music and your songwriting. Cause it's deep. Mm -hmm. It's definitely deep. It comes only from self-experience usually. I mean, there's the odd song that I will, that I'll role play or write about a feeling that I might have or think about if I was in their shoes, what would I feel? All my songs come from feelings though. I wish I could say that I write about politics or that saving the world or making things different, but I don't. I write about feelings and about trying to find your inner potential. And it's also healing for me, you know, I'm I'm always admitting to my vulnerabilities through my music. Hmm. And I feel like we need that in my opinion. We need that more than we need music about politics and, and causes. That There's enough of that music out there that sings about what's out there, but there's not enough music that goes deep about what's going on inside. And we live in a world where we're pain-phobic, where we shut off our feelings, where we have categories. These feelings are good and these feelings are bad. And, and we walk around like so many people are just suppressing what needs to come out so much pain, you know, like if you think about mm -hmm. it, it's like so much pain. And we just, instead of 
singing about it or feeling it or crying or whatever needs to happen, letting it just move through in, in its natural way, we pop a pill. Mm -hmm. And what does that do? I mean, really, it just drives, drives it deeper, more pain. So my personal belief is that what you're doing is not only healing for yourself, it's healing for others. Like, like even me just hearing that, you know, short part of that song really affected me on a deep level. Yeah. I didn't even know what the purpose of that song was. My soul did though, just from mm -hmm. the reaction that I had. Thanks. Um, it's really amazing. You know, like I'm not, I'm not, I was raised in the church with my mom being a, a choir leader and she's now a lay pastor. I don't consider myself a part of the church, but I do consider myself um, a part of the church of life because I think we're all on this journey together and that we're all here to heal each other. So if my, my gift, God-given gift of being able to sing and write music can help somebody else, then, you know, that makes me feel really good. But I know it's not just, it's not me doing it. I feel like it's a different being going through me, working through me. Mm. You know? I get that. Yeah. I feel the same way with my writing. And it's, it's, um, you, you tell me if this resonates with you, but I would do it even if nobody read anything that I wrote, if nobody cared about what I wrote, because it's something that needs to come through. It needs to be expressed. Absolutely. It does. Um, there is a part of me though, that does like, the fact that people like to listen to my music <laughs> and they like it, you know, I would feel like, um, if I was doing this for a career, which I am, and nobody wanted to listen to me, then I would probably have to move on from this career. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's unfortunate so, that, that, uh, there's this cultural pressure to monetize our, our soul's work. Um, and I get it too. Like I, I say that I would need to, I would need to write, I would need to express myself even if nobody cared. Uh, but it would probably be secondary if, if there was no monetization of it, it would have to be, you know, shuffled off to the side while I did something that, you know, paid the bills. I understand what you're saying, but in the same way, I feel like if you follow your heart's desire and your passion, that you will always be taken care of by the universe. You will never need or want. And that is been true for me. The moment I stepped away from my job and my career when I was 19 years old and I decided to follow my heart and play music, I have never been without food a day in my life or a roof over my head or a bed to sleep in. Never. So I'm here to tell anybody that's listening that you can do it. And if you really follow your heart and you take the risk and the leap of faith, that you will be rewarded. You really will. Not, <laughs> not, maybe not rich money, maybe, if that's what you want. But I'll tell you, I've never wanted a day since I, I took this leap of faith. Hmm. I've always been good. I've always been taken care of. And, and I've also watched other people in my life that I've convinced to do this that will also preach to you now when they were scared and they said, no way, Sarah, you're crazy. And now they're living their life of passion and they are also okay every day. <laughs> it's uh, it's an interesting life, isn't it? I mean, there it opens up, it liberates you for so much, so much more. Um, I find that when I took the leap of faith, 
it was scary because I think we're all enculturated to believe that we need to have a job and to, to make money. Um, I find that there's been times when I've had to, you know, I've had to do the job thing at the same time that I've been working with my heart's work just to transition. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's, it's, it's important just to know that it's okay to transition and, but to stay with it, I think that's the key is mm -hmm. to stay with it, is to believe in the voice of your heart because it won't lead you astray. It will not. And I've, that is my only, my only thing I do in life is listening to my heart. And it takes me on some crazy journeys. It, <laughs> it takes me on some dips and some, some bends that I, I end up hurting people or whatever. Mm. It's, it's, they're not always positive things that my heart tells me to do, but I feel like that's the journey that I'm on and I just have to keep flowing with it. I mean, I, I, when I came back from New Zealand, I finished my, my high school diploma and I went to the military and that's what I wanted my career to be was military. All right. Wow. So yeah. <laughs> so for one year I was in the military and I was getting my university education there in the military and somebody said to this silly, young, naive girl that you can make a living playing music. And I didn't know that you could. I didn't even know you could make a living playing music. So I heard those words. I don't even know who it was. And I said, all right, I quit. I went right up to the major, whatever their names are, office. You're not supposed to go in. You're supposed to salute and you're supposed to make an appointment. I just went in and I said, sorry, I got to quit. I've got to go play music. <laughs> that's awesome that's what I did and it's no no exaggeration and I uh I got off out of the army and I and I joined a band and that's been it <laughs> and so you were you were with a band for a little while and um before I started recording you mentioned that you've only been solo for the last four years now so I'm curious to know how what it's like to to be a solo performer versus being in a band I prefer playing music with other people. That's why even as a solo artist, I have a band and I have musicians that I share the stage with that are my family and my, and we're very bonded. Being in a band was amazing. I love the family environment. You know, i never really had that close family that didn't judge me. I could do whatever I wanted and they loved me and I loved them. That was really cool and unique. That's the thing about being in a band I loved. Um, but we also, we also went on some crazy directions in our lives. You know, we partied and we, we, we just, we were like a rolling party bus all across Canada and the U S <laughs> so it wasn't the most healthy situation. Um, as a solo artist, I enjoy being able to have an outlet. I enjoy being able to let my voice be heard. I enjoy not having to always discuss everything before other people. Mm. I kind of enjoy having my own freedom um, to express what I want to express the way I want to express it. If I choose to involve other people in my life, that's my choice. It usually is better to have more people um, thinking and doing things because more heads are better than one. But as a creative artist, it is really important also to be able to have what I want out there. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when, when John, when your publishers publish publicist. Is that what he is? He's a publicist, right? Oh, he's just a great guy that does lots of great things. We'll call him a 
let's call him a great assist. Great assist. When your yeah. great assist contacted me about your work, <laughs> he really, he's got, you can tell he's really passionate about you. He's got a real affection for you. It really shines through in his emails to me. And he really highlighted your courage and your diligence to to run your career without an agent or a manager or a record label. And, you know, going back to my own life as an author, I've chosen the same thing. I've chosen my own path rather than lose all control to some, you know, big publishing company. I don't want to be enslaved by a publishing company. I want the creative right to be able to express how I need to. So I really get it when you, when you choose that route. Now, it's also a lot of work but it's liberating. And so I'm really, uh, I'd love to talk about your choice to do it on your terms and why you chose that route and how you make it work in such a, a demanding and competitive profession. Well, it's not my choice, this, this way of living, um, of not having an agent or a manager or a record company. That's not my choice. I just feel like the right person hasn't come along. Mm -hmm. I need, I need somebody that will come along that is willing to put work in. I will reward anybody for the work they put in, but I'm not going to give up 50% of my company to somebody that I don't know how they work or operate. So to me, the right person, the right match hasn't come along and I'm very open to it and I pray and I think about it and I put it out there all the time because I need help to get to the next level. So I do need that, that money, financial assistance, the, the power that, that, takes you to the next level. Okay. I do need that. But in the same way, I, I said to one of my managers, my ex managers lately that were very good friends. And I said, you know, how is the industry these days? I don't really feel like I'm a part of it at all. I don't feel like, I think maybe I'm a joke. Maybe people are laughing at me or maybe they just think, Oh, Sarah Smith, whatever. Um, I said, how, how is it? He said, Sarah, there is no industry. The industry is the fans. And he said, you have that, you have that. And that's how I've been approaching it. I've always approached music as the people that are loving it are the ones that are going to continue to pursue my, to help me pursue my career. That's it. So I help, I hope that I make people feel special because they are. You know, it reminds me of the work of Amanda Palmer. Are you familiar with her work? Mm -mm. She's, um, uh... She was originally like some kind of a punk rock singer. I'm not really familiar with her music. She did a big TEDx talk. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. The dolls. Dolls. That's uh, it. Dresden Dolls. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and she, um, I mean, you sound very similar to her. I've heard a few interviews with her too. And she's just, um, she's all about the fans. Wow. And cool. that has really fed her career. So, yeah. And she's doing great right now. Wow. Yeah, I'm, I, I don't know the answer, Deb. Like, I mean, for me, I'm just going one foot in front of the other every day, trying not to stress out. People say, how do you do it? I have priorities. I do every day. I off, office work. I take, like, number one priority for me, Deb, is taking care of me and my soul. So sometimes I forget when I'm getting stressed out or too busy, and then I have to take a breather and say, whoa, what is important here? It's not all this office work or music. It's me. I got to stay healthy because if I'm not healthy, I can't do any of it. So that's where I focus my efforts. 
this is a really important conversation too, because, you know, as someone, I feel like you and I are on parallel paths. We have different creative outlets, but we have different parallel paths. Now, I, I thought that you actually chose to go solo on your own and not have the manager. I actually made the conscious choice not to have a publisher. I thought about it. And every time I thought about it, I would feel this incredible density in my body, this heaviness. And I mm -hmm. knew that that was my soul's way of saying, no, that's not the right path for you. You need to have your mm -hmm. own, you need to do this on your, on your own. It means more work, mm -hmm. but you need to do this on your own. But you know, what's important though is, you know, um, it, what you say is the work mm -hmm. is also about nurturing the soul. Cause I find that mm -hmm. I, I work my ass off. I work so hard, but I don't have. 18 hour days. I have maybe six, seven, sometimes eight hour days where I'm writing, but most of those, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of the day is I have to go out and I have to be in nature with the dogs. I have to be swimming in the pool. I mean, mm -hmm. as a former triathlete, I have to move and mm -hmm. that's key. And I find that, oh, I'm sure that you, you can probably get this too. Mm -hmm. When I'm out moving, that's when I get my best inspiration. Oh, yeah. You got to live to be creative. <laughs> I get yeah. so much inspiration for my writing when I'm swimming. And it's like, shit, yeah. I hope I can remember this <laughs> yeah. before yeah. my workout's over. <laughs> mm -hmm. and, and also the balance. Like the balance is key, right? Like my partner has shown me really what is important. And sitting on the couch and watching a movie, although I hated it, for a long time. I hate sitting still. I now really look forward to those moments. I really look forward to those times where I get to sit across from her at a dinner table and eat dinner without our phones on. And that time is very important to me. And it's, it's all about the balance. And I feel like that's uh, an integral part of the work, which I say in quotation marks, I think that that, that, you know, we live in a culture of doers, but we forget the being part of the human equation. And the mm -hmm. being is really essentially in my own life, it really feeds the doing and it nurtures the doing so that my doing is more focused. It doesn't feel scattered mm -hmm. at all. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. When I do, it's like go time. One, <laughs> two, three, go. And I've got like a thousand <laughs> things on the go and I'm just like boop, 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 getting through everything. And then like, Four, three, four hours later, I'm done. And it's like, okay, we can go now. Let's go for dinner. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's so different doing focused work rather than scattered work. Because, you know, you look at people in, who are stuck in um, offices and for eight, nine, ten hours a day. And, and how much work are they actually accomplishing? Because it's so scattered. And then I look at, even like if I compare my own my, my own J-O-B days. I don't even like saying the word. It just feels like a dirty word. But those days when I was stuck in an office and how much work I accomplished versus how much more I accomplish now with fewer hours, but more focused, it's incredible. Mm -hmm. Like it's a, it's a radical difference. Yeah. I'd like to thank also everybody out there that's doing a job because I mean, I'm telling you, I'm telling you right now, like, a lot of this, we need you. And as long as you can somehow find happiness doing what you're doing, then that's all, all there is in life is you got to be happy. Like I also worked at a 
bank for a while. And I actually really enjoyed my job. I enjoyed the people I worked with and I really had a great time um, doing it. But then I just got another calling and I didn't mm. not, I didn't not listen to it. I listened to it. So if you have a calling, something that you feel you're not doing, then you need to do it. I'm telling you, Dev and I are right here to witness, to tell you as a witness that it is the best thing that you can ever do for your life. Follow the calling. Yeah. That's follow your heart. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, you mentioned your partner and I, uh, I read an article. I found an article last night when I was doing my research on you from Curve Magazine. And, yeah. and you mentioned that uh, when you first started playing music, women were hitting on you. And because of your small town upbringing, that you didn't even know that two people of the same sex could be together. <laughs> I'm so, honestly, I was so naive. And now you're married to a woman. That's what I it said know. in the article. I know. Yes, so I'm curious to know, um, you know, how that progressed in your life. Because, uh, you know, I, I'm in a same-sex relationship, but I don't label it. Like, I am just in love with another soul, and she happens to be wearing the bodysuit of a woman. Yeah. And so I don't identify as, you know, gay or lesbian or... I don't want to label it. Like, for me, it's about just love. Yeah. And I feel like I'm talking to a kindred spirit about this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I went through many, many years where I didn't want to talk about my personal life as a part of my career. I didn't want people to know I was with a woman. I didn't want to get judged. I didn't want to get put into a box. Huh. I didn't want all that, you know, negative connotation that I thought I was going to get. Um, but then I just, all of a sudden, I guess you could call it my coming out. And I just was like, you know, I am married. I am in love. I want people to know that I'm in love. I want people to know that I'm happy. I don't want to get, uh, in, you know, I don't want to hide a life. Mm. And so people will call me gay or people will call me a lesbian or people will call me whatever they want. And I don't really care anymore. I used to be very, very uh, closed up about everything. But I'm finally happy enough within myself and my relationship that I'm able to now shout it from the mountaintop for those that want to hear it. You know, it was very difficult for me to say the word lesbian or gay for a long, long time. Um, I personally, or bi or whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. uh, it's hard for me to put a label on my own sexuality because it's changes daily. I'm just, I'm a lover. I love people. Um, yeah, I was married to a man as well. You know, so I've just, uh, I'm just really in love with Janine and she's an amazing person and she teaches me more about myself than anything else in this world ever has. And so that's why I'm with her. It's a, it's, we're challenging each other every day. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. 16, yeah. 16 years later, we still are too, oh, but boy, the you. love just grows and grows and grows. And it's yeah. interesting, you know, cause, um, for the longest time, I was the same way because there's such a stigma attached to the labels yeah. of lesbian and gay or whatever yeah. they happen to be. And when you're not the stigma, it's it's um, it's kind of disorienting. It's like, well, I don't really know what to say about who I am because we live in a world full of labels and mm -hmm. people can only, you know, they need to 
judge you based on your label. And it's like, well, I'm in love with a woman and I happen to have a relationship that's long-term and that's the way it is. But I don't identify as a lesbian. I don't want the label. I don't want the stigma. I don't want the box. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, initially uh, uh, when I first discovered that I was attracted to women, I had to deal with my own inner homophobia. Like it's it was hard. It's, it's hard. hard. It was okay for everybody else to be gay and lesbian. Yeah. I had no problems with it, but me? Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know because people used to call me on it all the time. Like when I first started playing in a band, I would have like, I had a pink mohawk and I would wear like rainbow belts and all these rainbow shirts and people would say, Oh, you, are you, are you gay? You like women? I'm like, no, it's weird, (laughs) (laughs) you know, but, oh, I am, I think. (laughs) And, and I'm okay with it now. I'm okay with it. I'm okay with whatever you want to call me. I'm okay with me. That's the key. Yeah. And I found that, that, that was exactly what happened with me in my life. As I became more comfortable with me, Mm -hmm. then it didn't matter what anybody else thought. It didn't matter how they wanted to label me because I knew that I was so much more. And, you know, in that same Curve article, I just, I wrote down a quote here that you said. You said, I've always loved people regardless of their gender. Spirits are beyond skin. And I love that. Like, that is beautiful. It's about loving, like, loving the soul. Souls loving souls. Yeah, I I believe that... um... I don't know if you've ever read The Course on Miracles or dove into it a little bit, but there's some heavy stuff there that talk about there not being one special love in, in that everything should be loved on the same level. Everything should be loved. We are all love. We are all energy, and we should all be loved on that same level. But I think that in the case of a romantic relationship, I feel that that person has a stronger Um, reason in your life they're there to show you deeper things than most people could Mm. and maybe when I get older I'll learn that that's not the truth but right now I feel like Janine is here to show me deeper things than most people will there um when we're involved in a you know in an intimate relationship like that boy talk about being a reflection of each other Mm-hmm. Man, we have worked through so many triggers. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh my God. Or not worked through so many triggers. <laughs> We're at a point now. Yeah. Not working through them. That was probably the first like five, six years of the relationship. <laughs> it's just like boom, 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 it triggered all the time. But now we're at a point where we're both so hungry for our ongoing evolution that we can ask each other, are you triggered? We don't Mm -hmm. say, did I trigger you? It's, Mm -hmm. are you triggered? Because now we own it. It's like, yes, I am triggered. And and then we trace it back. Oh, it had to do something my father said or blah, blah, blah. It's all, there's always, it's never, it never has to do with the actual person triggering you. It has to do with something that is unresolved and unhealed. So yeah, even yesterday we worked through a big whopper, which is great. (laughs) (laughs) oh boy I can relate it's endless Um, I just I'm just really happy that she's beside me because I've done some really horrible things in our relationship and I'm just really happy she's with me 
able to work through things with me. So, yeah, I get that. I get yeah. that. At the very beginning of this conversation, you kind of, you mentioned quickly something about mental health issues. And when I was connecting with uh, John, he, um, he said that you have a strong connection to mental health issues. And I'm curious to explore that a little bit more with you about what that means for you. Well, without, without going into too many details about the, my personal life, um, most people in my life have been affected by mental illness. It, uh, it runs in my blood. It also, I seem to be attracted to um, wanting to fix people or help them. Mm. So also my partner, Janine, she also works um, at Canadian Mental Health Association, Association. So she's also really in, into that work as well. Um, so, and, you know, I struggle with addiction, which is also, I think, a part of mental health. Um, so there's a lot of, uh, I think that mental health has a lot to do with, you know, the chemicals of the brain is definitely mm. something that I had to accept. I didn't understand that for a long time. I just thought that if you were feeling depressed that you should go for a run, get out in the sunshine and you'll be better. Um, I always thought that. And some people, it's not true. Some people do need medication to get their life back on track and find the tools that it takes them to recover slowly. As just like an addiction, because I can relate to that, I can say that you always be recovering if you have a mental health issue or an addiction. It's something that doesn't just go away and that you have to continually work on yourself and work on, on, on making sure that that's under control. Um, finding a life of passion, um, you know, filling your heart in, with desire and living a life of, of death, like passion and desire are very important. But if you don't have the tools it takes to overcome these things or you don't have tools in your toolbox, then it can very much sneak up on, on us all again. Mm -hmm. yeah. So um, I liked, I, I've been very blessed that I haven't been able to, I have not had mental health, um, any mental health uh, diseases. Like I haven't had depression or anxiety or anything like that, but I have had addiction, which I think is part of mental health. But I've also found that my story can maybe help light the path of people that are, are on that on that path in their lives, and that you're not alone, and that I think everybody struggles. Yeah, we all do. And I feel like even through this podcast journey, I've noticed that uh, basically what it is, is I just bring people's stories to light, and then we just expand on those conversations and it's amazing how healing it's been for me but also the the countless emails that I get from listeners who thank me for just for the stories that I brought into the forefront of consciousness because when we realize that we're not alone it is incredibly healing so yeah. yeah yeah you're like you're bang on there for sure yeah yesterday um it was mother's day and Janine and I knew that there was a lady that was in town that she is a mother, but her, both her kids have kind of abandoned her because she is mentally ill. So we went to her house and we visited with her and, um, she told me that 
there was a point in her life where she was felt so small that she had a delusion that she was only just an atom mm. in this life and that she had come back to life as an atom. That was her delusion. Mm. And to feel that small, you know, I don't think she's alone. I think a lot of people feel that. And uh, we need to be there for each other, you know. We just need to, to let people know that there's nothing wrong with the way you feel and that you're not alone. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and on, on that same note, you know, there's, um, and, and going back to something that we previously talked about, you know, there's so many people who are so creatively gifted, who are just so gifted in life, whether it's through their art or music or their writing or, or whatever it is. And yet they seem to have so many excuses about why they stay small or feel small. And often, if not always, it's because they don't feel like they measure up or that they're not worthy because of perhaps something that someone said in the past that's now locked in the memory of their inner critic. So I'm curious, I mean, we've all got an inner critic, right? We're always, always navigating that inner critic. And I'm curious to know how you were able to bypass your own inner, inner critic. I know you mentioned that somebody said that you could you could just, you could make a living from your music or you could do your music and you just went for it. Um, and so I think that when we have that kind of support, that makes a huge difference. But how do you, how do you um, maintain and sustain that, that place inside of you that keeps telling you to keep going despite the inner critic that's always trying to keep us small? Um, the inner critic is inside me every day, every day, every minute of every day. And the thing that really clicked in me once was the phrase that thoughts are only thoughts and that you have control over what you put into your brain. So if I want to focus all the time on that negative critic, which is there constantly 24 seven, I can, but I have to remind myself, it's just a thought. It's just a thought. It's just a thought. And I can just say, no, I'm not going to listen to that. Nope, I'm not listening to that. And I choose to listen to the soul mm. instead, the soul, which is my heart. I, I just want to listen to that, the good stuff. I just say no. When the, the negative thoughts come in, I say, no, you're not going to take room in my brain today. <laughs> nope. I'm moving no on. No room for rent. <laughs> no room for rent. It's a challenge. Yeah. I think that we all struggle with that. And I find, I find that for me, what works is breath for sure. Breath is really mm. powerful, especially when, when she has a lot to say is breathing. And then there are times when it's like, when she's relentless, I just ask her like, what do you need? Like, what are you trying to say to me? Mm. And it's so fascinating to me that with a hundred percent certainty within seconds, she gives me an answer and it's usually about safety. It's like, yeah. I just want to keep you safe. Right. Yeah. And, and usually yeah. it brings up tears and there's some kind of a release and then she just kind of vanishes I like temporarily. That. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, Oh yeah. I've tried all sorts of tricks with her, but I think it's, I think it's just, it's like, what do you need? What do you need? And it's just usually some scared little kid that's still locked inside. Mm. Cool. We've talked about a lot of really deep, big things here, and I'm really grateful for your willingness to go deep. And I'm curious to know what you would say the overall message of your music is. 
I think my message is just offering um, a place where we can all relate to a struggle and that there's hope and there is recovery around the other side. Um, I think my, my music, what it does for me, I hope it does for you, which is offer light at the end of the tunnel. That is a beautiful way to end. <laughs> Thank you, Sarah. I really appreciate your, your time you. and, again, your willingness to go deep and your willingness to just be so raw and vulnerable and open. Thank you. Thank you, Deb, so much. There she is, Sarah Smith in all of her wonderful glory. And if you dig her music, she'll be touring Western Canada this month here in June. She's going to be on Vancouver Island. So if you're out this way, go and see her. She's going to be in Victoria, Port Alberni, and in Duncan. Uh, just check it out later this June. You can check it out on her website at sarahsmithmusic.com backslash events. And if you dig her music and you're not in the area, or you're not even in the country, and, uh, and you want to support her music, you can check out our website at sarahsmithmusic.com, or you can head over to the show notes on my website at debozarco.com backslash 104. And uh, thank you for listening, and also thank you for supporting the show by listening all the way to the end. And every week, <laughs> thank you for listening to the end. And uh, my request of you is to remember to leave an iTunes rating and help spread the word about this show to everyone you know, because it means so much for its ongoing continuation. And that ends yet another Unplugged podcast. May we continue to open our hearts on our evolutionary journey of awakening to the point where our heads can no longer make sense of it all. Thank you for listening. And remember, live with passion, live with purpose, change the world. And to end this week's show, I'm going to sign off another, with another one of Sarah's songs titled, I Need to Know. Ciao for now and enjoy. The fact that you're leaving isn't hard to understand You've been gone out of my reach Baby, just take my hand Oh, love, please believe me Give us another try Two hearts that are hurting will be okay 
now.